Joe, do you take a seat? We're going to carry on with the service. My voice is also a little bit husky. I was at the um, Beer and Carol's party last night. Oh, they did not have a kebab. Sorry. It would take quite a lot for me to have a kebab these days. Um, so, yes. But, um, yeah, lovely to be here this morning. I wanted to start this morning by sharing um, about another thing we've been doing over Christmas. Um, there's been loads of events, loads of stuff happening. It's been a busy, busy, um, fun time. But also, one, and one thing we've been doing alongside all the stuff that's been going on is something called Love Cardiff. Um, Love Cardiff at Christmas, um, because it's Christmas, obviously. Um, and Love Cardiff is a project, is a kind of a concept that we run as a church. We do a kind of couple of times a year. We do kind of love, we run something related to Love Cardiff. And the idea behind it is doing um, something kind of practical, blessing the city, to showing God's love to the city in some way. Uh, maybe meeting someone's practical needs. Maybe it's just giving away something for free just to, to kind of demonstrate the outrageous generosity of God. And um, so, yeah, Love Cardiff is something that we do um, in the summer and at Christmas. And, um, yeah, I wanted to tell you about a few of the projects we've been up to. And we approached all of our small group leaders and asked them to take on a project as a small group for Love Cardiff at Christmas. I'm not able to mention all the projects that we've done, so I'm sorry if your group doesn't get mentioned. Don't be cross with me, please. Um, but... Um, yeah, I wanted to share a few of the things we've been up to. So one small group has been making gift bags to give out at Tavs. Um, Tavs is a project that runs over the road that um, provides food and many other things to people um, who are vulnerably housed or homeless. And they've made them all a little gift bag. They've got their Christmas um, dinner tomorrow night and we're going to be able to bless them all with like a kind of little mini kind of stocking full of lovely presents. Um, and just to say, actually, if you want to help with that, come and find me at the end because it's more the merrier. We would love to kind of fill that place um, with good cheer and loads of people to volunteer. So that's tomorrow night. Um, another thing we did was yesterday, we threw a massive, massive, much bigger than we thought, kids party um, for refugees and asylum seekers down at the Trinity Centre. Loads of you, if you've got kids in our kids' groups, would have been asked to donate toys. And we, Friday, us as a staff team, got to wrap all those toys, which was a challenge. <laughs> I'm a terrible rapper at the best of times, let alone massive, cuddly kind of unicorns and things, but there we go. Um, so we uh, wrapped up all these toys, and um, the party was yesterday. And do you know what? We ran out of toys. They had to go out and buy more. Um, we had to go out and buy more pizzas because we'd run out of food. There were 70 children plus their parents turned up yesterday. I mean, we've never, we've done this kind of, the, we've worked um, with that group, we've run parties through our links with the refugees and asylum seekers before, we've done it a few, quite a few times now, we have never seen anything like it, it was amazing. Um, and do you know what was really amazing is um, the guys that run the event yesterday, I think some photos, photos coming up of it, can we show those photos, Keith, um, of, the, of the party? And I got a message yesterday from the guys that organised it, and um, there was... Uh, Two families and two men who attend another one of our projects, people that we reach out to, they came along to help run that party. I thought, isn't that such a kingdom value? That they've come, they've received, and they want to come and join in and serve in another way. Um, and, um, yeah, and the general feeling, everyone just had an amazing time. Oh, Emma will kill me for that. Um, and, yeah, I think she's in kids, so she won't know we showed that picture. Um, yeah, everyone had an amazing time. Isn't that fantastic? What an amazing way to do a party for people that um, 
yeah, need a reason to celebrate. Oh, that is a different photo. We'll come to that in a minute. So, on that note, we gave out um, 20 hampers. So, lots of our small groups were put together a hamper. 20 of our small groups put together hampers. The guys that head up our compassion ministry listed 20 families or individuals, households, that we wanted to bless um, with um, a hamper. So, with kind of groceries, kind of nice Christmassy stuff in it, decorations, and then presents for each of the people there, presents for their kids. We just wanted to bless them. And... It is, they've all been coming in over the last few weeks. We've stored them all at our um, midweek venue. And the, your generosity, if you've given something to that, your generosity, these hampers were like huge. And then there were bags to go alongside the hamper because they didn't all fit in. And it was amazing. And um, Jackie sent me, she's been delivering them. She's our Santa Claus and she has been delivering them. And she sent me um, two stories which I wanted to share. The first one is of the two girls, um, a family that she went to. And this is what Jackie said. I'm reading her words. On Saturday, I delivered a hamper to Etleva and her daughters, who attend Blend regularly and who are asylum seekers. They have been through an especially difficult time and had recently moved into a flat which just had basic furniture. She was really happy with the hamper, and as her daughters were out, she hid the presents so they had something for Christmas Day. We chatted, and I made a list of all the things she was in need, in need of, some of which I was able to help with straight away, and for the rest, I asked people in church. Thanks to people's generosity, I was able to go back on Monday with a Christmas tree, some books for the girls, and a TV. The small group that made her hamper said they could get her some other household items, which they've done. We were also able to give the family a food bank voucher as they were waiting for their payment card to arrive and had only been given £15 in Tesco vouchers to feed all three of them for the next two weeks. So that's them with their Christmas tree. That's the two daughters. And then the next photo, uh, please... Um, on Wednesday, I took a, this is again Jackie, um, on Wednesday, look at him, on Wednesday, I took a hamper to Enula, an asylum seeker who lives in a shared house in one room with her son, Ray, age nine. They were really excited to get the hamper, and Ray opened everything up. Enula was visibly overwhelmed and wanted me to pass on her gratitude to the small group who made her hamper. She said that her mother had always taught her to share and give when she could, and that she knew this was God giving back to her. Isn't that amazing? That makes me emotional just thinking about it. Um, thank you to all of you who have taken part in some way on this um, to make these happen. I know some of you have done loads of stuff, centrally coordinated this whole thing, and some of you have given just what you can in the moment. So thank you. Um, those are just a couple of stories. I mean, that's two stories. We've got 18 more hampers going out. There's been loads of other projects. So thank you. Um, I know lots of people have that fear of, are we losing, you know, is, is kind of society taking Jesus out of Christmas? Are we losing that? And I feel like that's our answer to the world a demonstration of God's love at Christmas. For me, these stories are precious stories because they go some way in demonstrating the good news of Jesus to people. Showing people why, you know, this kind of ancient, well-trodden Christmas story still matters. Why it still matters, why it still speaks today and why it's still such good news. And today we're going to look at what is probably a familiar part of the Christmas story. You know, whether you're a churchy person or not, you have probably heard this story before. It's the story of the angels appearing to the shepherds um, to tell them about uh, Jesus' birth that very night. They speak to the shepherds. The words they use are great news, uh, good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. And that's my theme for the talk this morning. Good news of great joy. And my invitation to you all is to this good news of great joy this morning, whether you've not heard it before or whether this is the zillionth time you've heard it. That is the invitation to this good news of great joy. And the danger for many of us that have heard this story of the angels and the shepherds um, so many times is that the words and the events to which they refer to can kind of lose all meaning. It's like the definition of a cliche, something that you have heard hundreds and hundreds of times. And they can lose 
their meaning. You know, in the, it kind of gets lost amongst the kind of cliches of Christmas. You know, it gets lost in the school nativity plays and the kids with tea towels on their heads and all that kind of stuff. Um, so my hope this morning is that we re-engage with that story of that glorious night when Jesus was born and angels appeared to some shepherds on the hillside. Um, before we dive into the passage, it's in Luke 2, but I would love just to set a bit of context around the passage to help us get excited and to kind of frame it this morning. Um, some of you will know that this point in history for the people of Israel is hardly a high point. In fact, it's a low point. At this point, the people of Israel, they are living under Roman occupation. They're no longer a distinct country ruling themselves. Um, some of you remember earlier on in the year, we looked at the story of Moses and we looked at how God rescued his people. He formed them into people, how he rescued them from slavery under the Egyptians and brought them um, out of there and towards this promised land. And in the new year, we're going to look at the story of Joshua and how Joshua then took over the lead of these people. He led them into that promised land. And um, we're going to look at that in the new year. Um, but the rest of the Old Testament kind of documents, if you like, the rise and fall of this nation of Israel, um, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, we see moments like the glory days of King David, um, who, who was like Jesus, was born in Bethlehem. And we see the kings that followed him, who were kind of a mixed bag, mixed success, to put it lightly. Um, and we see the people of God, his people, struggling to worship him properly, to give him the glory that he was due. We see them worshipping other gods and other idols, um, lead, leading sinful lives. And we see God speaking through prophets, saying to his people, um, speaking to them of their coming demise. Um, and sure enough, foreign nations come in, they conquer them, they enslave them again. It's like a reverse of the Moses story. They find themselves back um, being led by foreign nations and the temple, the place where God was worshipped, is destroyed. And it is devastating for God's people. It's humiliating. You know, the Old Testament ends on rather a somber note. Um, but all is not lost. Intermingled amongst this are also notes of hope. The Old Testament ends with um, the, some of God's prophets speaking, hearing from God that all is not lost, that God has a plan, that something is happening, that change will happen. Um, and there's a promise that an ancestor of David would restore God's people. We read verses like this in Isaiah, verse, uh, Isaiah 9, verse 2. Um, these are kind of familiar Christmas ones that we often read at Christmas. Uh, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. Like a promise that in the darkness, a light was going to dawn. Um, and verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is, is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. They're words from the Old Testament that was spoken about the day when everything would change, when God would send someone, something was gonna change, there was gonna be a light in the darkness. So the Old Testament ends on a sense of hope as well as desperation, that God has a plan. It's this kind of mixed notes. There's this expectation and there's a time of waiting. And the time between the Old Testament ending on kind of verses like I've just read and then this night in Bethlehem, it's about 400 years. That's the time gap, 400 years of waiting until one night in Bethlehem, a pregnant lady gives birth to a baby and angels then appear to shepherds on the hillside. And it is a pivotal moment in human history 
I can't understate that enough. I mean, it's, history dates itself from this moment, doesn't it? The biggest moment in the history of the world that Jesus was born, and in, in him being born, so began his life, then his death and his resurrection. And the story for, uh, kind of unfolded of God restoring all people back to him, bringing all people, making all people right to him. So, wow, it's a massive night. Um, that's the kind of the historical context behind the story of the angels and the shepherds. Um, I'd love to take a moment then to think about the spiritual context as well. You know, the spiritual reality that's going on this very night, the story we're going to look at. Um, some of you will know the Christmas story appears in two of the Gospels, in Matthew and Luke. It's from these stories that we get kind of the details about the stable and the census and wise men and inns and donkeys and all that stuff of nativity plays. Um, but in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, we see the nativity story from heaven's perspective. Um, now, it's kind of done in the weird and wonderful language and imagery of Revelation, so bear with me. Um, and it's not kind of an easy kind of, um, they're not easy verses to look at. But in Revelations 12, there is the story of a woman in labor. And um, she's, uh, she's in labor, and just as she's about to give birth to a baby, um, in Revelations 12, there's a description of this dragon coming in. Um, this massive dragon comes in, and its aim is to destroy this baby as it's born at that moment. And what those verses are about in Revelation 12, they are a picture um, of the spiritual war going on in heaven over this baby, over this point in human history. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness colliding. And we see Satan's attempt to make sure that this baby is not born. And we realize in that moment, you know, um, Satan doesn't want this baby to be born because of the breakthrough, because of the turning point, because of the huge, I mean, it's the vast significance of this moment. And of course, Satan didn't want that, doesn't want that. And as we know, he was unsuccessful, Satan was unsuccessful. Jesus arrived on earth, a tiny, helpless baby, and he arrived. And sometimes when we think about the Christmas story, we, we think about the more historical details of what happened when and donkeys and wise men, angels and, you know, gifts and all that stuff. And we forget the kingdom perspective of what's happening here, the kingdom perspective of the Christmas story. And Revelation 12 is just that kingdom perspective on this turning point in human history. The pivotal moment, you know, after 400 years of waiting, that God's kingdom um, breaks in and God's plan to bring all people back to him unfolds. Jesus is born. So this is a moment of kingdom breakthrough and it is gloriously joyful. It is ridiculously joyful. So with those two things in mind, let's come and have a look at the story itself. So Luke 2, verses 8 to 20. You can find it in your Bibles or it's going to come up behind me. Luke 2, 8 to 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. <clears throat> me. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. <coughs> me. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of, of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to, to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which, they, which were just as they had been told. So we see the kingdom of heaven breaking in in these verses. We see the heavenly and the earthly mixing together. You know, you've got these heavenly beings, these angels filling the sky. And you've got these kind of mortal shepherds, these very human shepherds known for their kind of sinful lifestyle. They were like kind of very rough, kind of outcasts of society. And heaven meets earth in that moment and proclaims a massive victory for the kingdom. And the angels are euphoric at what has happened. The first angel says, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. And I love the moment, verse 13, the word suddenly. Suddenly, um, the, uh, the, the heavens fill the sky. Um, the company of the heavenly hosts appear with this angel, the first angel, and they appear and they praise God and they sing to God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Suddenly. It's this moment, it's like heaven can't hold back any longer in its praise, in its worship of God. And it fills the sky. And a worship erupts for their God who has done such an act of love for all people in sending his son to earth that very night. And heaven can't hold back. And it's glorious and it's beautiful. And it f- this worship fills the sky as they respond to this good news of great joy. And then there's this moment, the shepherds go off to see for themselves and they find it exactly as the angels have said. They see this baby just lying in a manger and these, this uh, Mary and Joseph um, standing there. They see this baby, human destiny, on his shoulders. And what does the passage say about these shepherds? It says they return. They return glorifying God, praising God for all they had seen and, and um, heard. They then worship God, and their worship um, kind of mirrors the worship we've just had from these angels. It's like they meet with the worship that's going on in heaven, and they return from having seen Jesus, their hearts worshipping, worshipping at this amazing news, this kind of good news that's almost too good to be true, but in fact, it is so good and it is so true. And they join with the worship of heaven, and they give all the glory to God. And do you know what, when we encounter the good news of Jesus, of the Christmas story, and all that kind of comes after it. Our hearts should be led to want to worship God. That should be a natural kind of response for our worship to join in with the worship that's currently going on now in heaven for all that God has done and all that he will do. You know, we should be hungry to worship God. At this point, I would ask you, you know, is this good news still good news for you today? Is this still good news? Does this story fill your heart with a longing to worship God? Or has it become old news? Has the good news become old news? You know, is our worship just kind of ticking over, something that we do when we meet together on a Sunday? Or are our hearts bursting to worship God as we hear the good news again, as we respond to the good news? And I'd love to give the invitation for us this morning to engage with the good news again. It's such good news of great joy, isn't it? It's like the best news ever. And it is so good and it is so true. It's not too good to be true. So worship is one of the overflows of an encounter with the good news of Jesus. Another is that when we encounter the good news of Jesus, um, there's something about that moment that demands for us to then go and share it with other people. It comes from the overflow of hearing the good news. Our response should be that we then go and share the good news. The shepherds, it says of the shepherds in verse 17, when they had seen him, when the shepherds had seen Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
Just the natural overflow when they heard this good news was to go and share it. It was like contagious. They just wanted to share it. They're so full of joy. They're telling everyone about it. It's so easy to lose that, isn't it? To lose sight of that. Um, We've talked a lot recently in our Acts series about sharing our faith. And um, James challenged us a couple couple of weeks ago to be praying for people, um, having a few people that we regularly pray for um, and ask for them to come to know Jesus, people that are on our hearts. One person who is very dear to me, who I pray about all the time, join with me this morning, I'd love you to pray for him today, is my brother who doesn't know Jesus. And years ago, as I was praying for him, I had a moment as I felt really God really challenged me as I was praying. I remember as I was praying, I remember thinking, do I really think that the best thing that could happen to my brother was it would be for him to become a Christian. Is this the best news ever? Um, and of course, on some level, I did. You know, I kind of I know what the right answer is there. Yes, of course it is. Um, but if I'm honest, there's also a part of me that maybe got a bit religious in my faith. Maybe a part of me that had kind of linked being a Christian with endless serving, endless doing, a sense of obligation, to the point that I was exhausted and I was having thoughts of, do you know what? My life would actually be much easier if I wasn't a Christian. I'm not sure I'm the only person that's felt that. Wouldn't my life be easy if I wasn't a Christian? When you have that thought, that is a warning sign. That is a good warning sign. It's okay, we all have those moments, I think. I hope it's not just me. You're like, what is wrong with you, Alice? Um, It's a warning sign that we need to encounter the good news again. That's a helpful check in our soul. It's a sign that the good news, it's not that it's just become old news. It's that we've changed it and we've altered it. And the good news has come about something that was never meant to be. It's not meant to be about a life of obligation and doing and exhaustion. And if we've lost sight of the good news, it's like we've changed it. It's not just old news, it's become fake news, which is the year of the word, the word of the year, rather. Um, apparently, it's the word of the year. And um, I know it's two words, but apparently it is the word of the year. It said on the BBC website. Um, and we've taken the good news and it's become fake news. And that is so deadly. It's deadly to our souls and it's deadly to those we're sharing it to. If it's not good news for you, it's not going to be good news for anyone else. That's the reality. And you know what? If you really struggle to share your faith with people, if that's something you struggle with, which I think we all do on some level, don't we? I think all of us do to some some degree. It's a reminder that we need to encounter the good news again for ourselves. Come and see that the Lord is good. Come and see this baby lying in a manger. Come and see this man on a cross. His hands, his feet pierced for us. Come and see this morning. Come and see, hear, believe the good news this morning. And lastly, the good news should produce in us um, joyful followers. We should then be joyful. And I would ask you, are you a joy-filled person? You know, if I was going to ask people that know you, you know, to describe you in a few words, would joy be a word that they would use? Would joy be a word they would use? You know, this passage, this moment in history, this turning point, this pivotal moment is one that is deeply full of joy. It is like the most joyful passage. We've got, that's to me, the overriding sense of those familiar verses of the angels and the shepherds is the joy, the joy of the angels, the joy of the shepherds. And um, as Christians, we should be the most joyful people out there, shouldn't we? And I'm not sure that's what we're always known for. If only that was the case. You know, Jen did an amazing talk last week at our carol services about joy. Um, and, you know, and, and said, rightly said, you know, joy is different from happiness. Joy is different to happiness. You know, it's much deeper. It's not based on our circumstances, which, of course, at times, our circumstances, our lives can be deeply painful, deeply difficult. And happiness is dependent on, on those moments, isn't it? Where times when we're deeply unhappy. But joy is much deeper than that. Um, 
Eleanor Mumford, who leads up the vineyard kind of movement internationally, as it were, um, with her husband, John, she gave this really helpful analogy of the difference between happiness and joy. Um, she talked about, if you imagine kind of a great ocean, happiness is like the, the top of the ocean. It's dependent on what's going on around it, the kind of the weather, the weather systems around it, what life is throwing at you. Sometimes it's calm, sometimes it's lovely and beautiful and peaceful, and sometimes it's all chaos is breaking out and it's all happening. And that's happiness at the top. And then joy is right at the depths of the ocean. It's right at the bottom. And the, depth, the deepest part of the sea is a deeply peaceful, quiet, tranquil place. And that's the difference. That's what joy is like. It's that deep knowledge. It's that deep knowledge that ultimately, deep down, God is in control. That he is good. And that he's bringing all things back to himself. And that he will one day make all things good. It's that deep reassurance. That's what joy is. And that's why we can be joyful, despite our circumstances, which at times, of course, are painful and difficult. That's how life is for all of us. I appreciate that. But that's what joy is. Are you a joyful person? Have you encountered that good news? Is it producing joy in your life? Would people know that as a characteristic? Would people know that as a characteristic of this church? I hope they would. That's one of the reasons we do parties. I know people can be like, oh, beer and carols. That's a lot of talk about beer and we're a vineyard and I don't know, all this stuff. You know, but actually, we want to do parties. We want to celebrate. We want to be joyful people. That is a, what we, that's one of our characteristics. What, what, we, what we want people to kind of encounter when they come here is a sense of joy. Not because we just want to be kind of happy and over the top, but because we think that all joy comes from knowing Jesus. And this good news story, this Christmas story, and all it then goes on from that in Jesus' death on the cross. As Christians, we should be the most joyful people in the planet. So my invitation to you this morning is come and encounter this good news again. This fantastic Christmas story again. Come and encounter it again. Don't let it be a cliche. Come and encounter it again. The great joy of the Christmas story that the God of the universe sent his son into, onto this planet for us who would one day die on a cross for our sins and rise from the death, raised from the dead, be raised from the dead, come back to life. That he died for us because he loves us that much. And this is the beginning of that most amazing love story. And this is such good news of great joy. Should we stand? I'd love just to pray.